Hey there, listener. I want to thank you for listening to the National Land Realty Podcast. Now, please remember to like, share, and review our show. If you can, take a second, hit pause, and give us a quick review. It only takes about a minute to write what you think about the content that you hear on this show. Good or bad, we want to hear it. Thank you in advance. Now on with the show. Welcome to episode number 24 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Now, in this episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Gary Schnitke of the University of Illinois about land values in 2023 and what has been influencing those values. This is an incredibly valuable conversation and a level of insight that is hard to find anywhere else. Dr. Schnitke uses farm business, farm management, that is FBFM data on revenue and cost to analyze profitability of major field crops and to assess impacts of farm programs and risk management strategies. His research informs farmers of the most profitable rotations and encourages long-term change to impact yield. Gary is renowned far and wide for his knowledge, so this is a real privilege. Now sit back and enjoy the show. I am talking to Dr. Gary Schnicki out of the University of Illinois. And um, Gary, if you could just really quick, tell me how you got here. Tell me how, you know, you work your way up through the ranks of, of academia in agriculture and sort of walk me through a little bit. Yeah, so I grew up on a grain and hog farm in Northwest Ohio and decided to go to the university and I went to Ohio State and I was going to be a veterinarian and then discovered that economics is a whole lot easier than chemistry. Got a bachelor's in ag econ, came out to the University of Illinois and got my PhD and then I was on faculty at Ohio State and I was a dairy farm economist for 10 years. And then in 1998, I came back here and have been a professor in farm management here and look at crop economics in the great Midwest. Excellent. So, so in, in looking at your background, you, you kind of just hammered all of the academics out there right out of the gate, right? You went for, for your bachelor's, master's and PhD consecutively, right? So, yeah, and if you have to remember when I graduated uh, college was just 1982. You remember that period, the job market wasn't that good. So That was coming off the Carter administration into the Reagan yeah. administration yeah. off of a pretty heavy downturn, right? Yeah, so uh, so jobs weren't all that plentiful. I liked the... I, I like the college life and they paid me to go to go to school. So uh, there we go. <laughs> that sounds like a smart uh, that's a smart play right there with given the economy. And and I, I came out of college too, right in front of the the huge crash that we had in in 06. And that's when I when I first hit the market right out of college. And so and and I was really smart about it and went into marketing, which is always the first head to roll. Um, so I would say you made a sm much smarter decision than I did because it was rough there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's worked out pretty well. So there, I, I've been. It's been a good career. Awesome. Well, I I've done a good amount of of digging on sort of 
a lot of things that, that you speak on. You've testified before Congress. You're in front of, uh, you know, you're in front of farm boards regularly. You're advising, you know, landowners throughout Illinois. Um, quite a background there with, with what would you say you specialize in? And I realize corn and soybeans are definitely, you know, what you talk about a lot, but sort of what's, what's sort of your specialty when, when, when you're producing, you know, research or speaking to landowners? Yeah, so I, I describe myself as a crop economist. And uh, given that we're in Illinois, which number one crop is soybeans and number two crop is, is corn. And actually, we have um, close to 22 million acres here in Illinois. And those are the two major crops by far. I focus on corn and soybeans, crop economics in those areas, but particularly looking at risk management. So I do a lot of this thought and discussion about crop insurance, and I've been involved in those crop insurance discussions, farm policy and, you know, the commodity title programs and how they impact risk, marketing strategies and how that impacts risk, and then land tenure or controlling land and how that impacts risk. And at the same time, anytime you begin talking about those and risk, you sort of get involved in looking at where prices can go in the future and what farmland's doing. And it's a very interesting, interesting, uh, very interesting area. So I've enjoyed it. I would say so, especially in the last three years because of the, the price fluctuations that we've experienced, right? So... Nothing's been normal since about 2018, and I'm waiting for a normal year. 2018, we had the trade embargo, Trump. 2019, that that continued, and we had MFP payments, and then we had a really bad, bad um, spring season with a lot of prevent plant. Got through that in 2020. We introduced COVID and the control measures, and that threw us around for a while, and 21 and 22, then we have this Ukraine-Russia thing. So I'm look, I'm looking for a normal year again, whatever that is. <laughs> and it's one of those where th that phrase keeps it jumping out there, the new normal. And I, I, I don't think I can hear that phrase anymore. It's so hard to hear. Yeah. It's like, what, what does that even mean? You know, <laughs> how do you work with that? And I was just going to say, I keep on catching myself. So if it comes out, I'm going to pre-apologize. So I live in Idaho and everybody always calls I Idaho, Iowa, if they're not from Idaho or the Northwest. And I keep on catching myself almost like there's multiple states that I keep <laughs> on almost saying instead of Illinois. So if it comes out, I apologize. It's, it's just it keeps on all I keep on catching myself. So if it happens, just like, you know, throw something at me through the screen or something. There um, go. Hey, so you mentioned, you know, the key events since 2018 and, um, you know, we had a new administration. What did those embargoes do to croplands in your area? And then sort of what you saw nationally that, that you saw in 2018. So 2018, it, it actually caused a pause in increase in farmland prices. And we were actually pretty concerned about where those were gonna go. Uh, that, that embargo in particular hurt soybean prices because um, we, we export in this country 50% of our soybeans and a lot of those go to China and that was a major target. Um, what, smooth 
that was the MFP payments, the market facilitation program payments, which were quite large. So those came in and uh, and slowed, or you know, they they made up for the income loss due to price declines, and 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 they were they they were a stopgap measure. And I would say that those those caused farmland prices not to decline. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it, farmland prices have been on a steady upward trajectory since. Uh, to middle mid two thousand five two thousand six, so they sort of slowed in that that era, and you were wondering, well, is it a good thing to uh, anger your major market <laughs> for your for your soybeans? But uh, yeah, we we seem to have gotten through through that pretty well, and China has decided they can buy soybeans again from either Brazil or or U.S., so they don't care. <laughs> Yeah, we've we sort of made friends back up in the last couple of years. Um, it's, it's, no, well, not friends, right? But we we opened some trading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're okay being enemies just as long as you buy our soybeans. We're exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, and, and we've so we've gone through that. We've gone through you know the COVID chaos, and I don't I don't know that you can necessarily attribute you know any steady. It, it's hard. It's hard to talk about the 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 time period that that you know all the COVID restrictions were in place, just because it was so out of the blue, and then it was seemed to go away, and now we're sort of in the aftermath, right? Yeah. And, so yeah. So immediately when COVID hit, we were very concerned about, in particular, corn price, because you know you make corn into ethanol, <laughs> fuel demand went down. And we saw again corn prices decline pretty dramatically from March of that year till August, and then something happened and and they they began going up, up again. That was I guess COVID turned out not to be as bad as maybe we thought on the demand side for 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 things, and China began buying again, and they began rebuilding their herd. So on the the demand side, it turned out not to be as bad as we thought. However, I don't know, you know, I and I, I don't think uh, Midwest farmers are all that different from everybody else, but I think COVID really hit our supply chains and made life harder. <laughs> I mean, we, we you know, and, and, and this isn't going to be any different from any other business, but, you know, you can't, get, if you you can't get parts from machinery. I mean, it's it's delayed, and anything you want to buy is delayed. Uh, herbicides were a big issue. We did, yeah. We heard a lot about that during during the last couple of years, and and coming up into two thousand twenty two as well. You know, it's it's been a conversation that's been pretty prevalent. Yeah, and then you know that sort of began our. The rise in fertilizer prices because COVID slowed maintenance of nitrogen fertilizer plants in the Gulf area, Louisiana, Mississippi, and they had to do maintenance in mid 2021. And lo and behold, a hurricane went through there, and and that uh, further delayed that. And that's when we began seeing prices of nitrogen fertilizer increasing. 
So, and I've, I, and I've read through some of your papers on this and it actually, you know, I, I, I want to say it shifted my, my opinion, but really it was just a matter of me educating myself. Right. And, you know, a, a lot of what, what in, in discussions that, that we have on, you know, crop prices and land prices, a lot of the attribution goes to, um, you know, they'll talk about fuel or they'll talk about, um, you know, the, the price of commodities have gone up because of the, the lack of, of imports from places like Ukraine, Russia in the last couple of years. But you touched on, uh, you know, the price of ammonia because of how it goes into the production of nitrogen fertilizer. I didn't realize that natural gas plays such a strong role of that in a hurricane going through the supply chain and wrecking that up. So, so a lot, and then a lot of the conversations go to, they talk about administration policy, how, you know, we've cut domestic oil production and how that fed into things. But, but when you really look at it, it has more to do with disasters hurting the supply chain up front. And, and it was just, it, I, I really appreciate your research there because I kind of dove into that and, and really kind of like, oh, I got a quick education on that. So if you could touch on that, that would be great. Yeah, no. So, so, um, Nitrogen fertilizers are important for uh, corn and wheat, and the production of those uh, occur in plants. A lot of the production occurs in plants in the in Louisiana and the Gulf area. But a prime ingredient in that in in uh, in fertilizer production is natural gas. And natural gas is used to make anhydrous ammonia. And then from anhydrous ammonia, we get all these other different fertilizers. But so what happens to natural gas is extremely critical in nitrogen fertilizer production. And so any blip that impacts natural gas. And so, you know, whenever pipelines in Oklahoma and Texas shut down, that that's a big deal. And, and, all of that, and, and then the Gulf's area was was again slowed down because of uh, COVID and 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 the need to uh, do uh, do maintenance. And then you have Hurricane Ida hit, and and all of that's not 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 a good thing, and spiraled up natural gas prices. Um, I'm not going to totally put take away the blame from cutting back on petroleum production though that's probably not a good thing if you're yeah yeah so how much does that affect, how much does that play in you know because we're in we're in the age of of i would i would say like crazy partisan politics where everyone just kind of throws rocks back and forth at each other but you know let's let's remove that from from the conversation as, a, as i'm you know it's best for everybody but how much does the administration changes that we've seen in the last couple of years regarding natural gas and, and fuel, how much does that play into the, the cost increases that we see, not necessarily in, in crop yields or, you know, any, like the transporting of crops, but we're talking like the production, like what you're talking about here and the overall cost to produce crops. So, you know, I don't have a model that breaks that down quite, <laughs> quite as precisely as you would like it, but but you know, if you look at natural gas production, and 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 we've got a good supply of natural gas because we did fracking for for a long long period of time. Well, if you tell your the producers that hey, 
we're going to try and end your industry, it, it doesn't give you a lot of incentive to, to invest in it. And oh, by the way, we have rising interest rates, which makes everything more difficult to invest in. And there was, some, as you might say, there was some irrational exuberance among the natural gas producers uh, beforehand that led to some losses. So all those things sort of move in together. And, uh, you know, it, it's not inconsequential what the administration has done. And, you know, it yeah. might be a 10, 15, 20 percent of the, the, the cost increases that, that we've seen. And if you don't, all right, moving forward, you've got to seriously think about what are you going to do with natural gas? Because uh, Western Europe doesn't want to buy it from Russia anymore. For a good reason, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I were them, I wouldn't want to be a total. I mean, right now, Western Europe totally depends, or not totally, but 40%, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, depends on Russia, and you, you don't want to be in that position. Well, if you don't depend on Russia, you got to get it from someplace else. And it's a world market, so uh, we better produce more of it if, you know, if we want to keep prices in a range that uh, keeps our economy going. Right. And if we want to, well, and another part of that too, is like, it's just the politics of the situation. If you want to keep your political allies, really good friends, become economic partners, and then we're reliant on each other more, That's yeah. you know, and, and hopefully we're not as abusive of a partnership as, as the Russia Europe partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you're right. You know, we have to look at, at, at fuel production in there, um, which, I, I, I love that conversation. <laughs> um, so, so as it relates to land, we, you know, we go through all of this, we go through the COVID epidemic, the, the supply chain is just absolutely messed up at the end of COVID. And then they release all the restrictions. The supply chain gets worse because when you go from, when you go from zero to a hundred miles an hour with no warning or preparation on infrastructure, you're headed to a mess. And so the last year and a half have been sort of a mess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what it, it, and I guess coming into that, then you have Russia, Ukraine, and that's, you know, what is it? 30% of the world's wheat supply and natural gas throughout Europe. You have um, what's, what's their other key products in Ukraine. I, I know wheat uh, barley, I believe is, is a big one. Um, they, they have oil seeds as well. They're they're soybean producer and, and sunflower and canola. So they're they're a major oil seed. You know, Ukraine is a breadbasket of 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 Europe. So you take that out, you're going to have an impact on a lot of things. But wheat wheat is the one that immediately gets the attention because they're a major wheat producer, and a lot of that goes to countries that are poorer and need those calories to keep their diets going. So when that, when that supply shuts down, that puts a lot of pressure on countries like us, right? Where, and it drives our prices up. Um, So we have increasing expenses to maintain crops and increasing prices in crops. Are those balancing out? Yeah, so far. So, and that's exactly right. Ukraine did both, right? The, and the, on the positive side for U.S. farmers, 
uh, and I'd, from an income standpoint, they did increase commodity prices, wheat, particularly corn and soybeans. And at the same time, they, they, they did increase cost, and in particular, fertilizer costs, because again, you, Russia is a major producer of all fertilizers. And, um, and so you take them, make their product harder to get, take Western Europe and slow the supply of natural gas. So any, any nitrogen fertilizer manufacturer in Europe now has difficulty. I mean, you have a choice of either heating homes or making fertilizer. Your first choice is probably going to be heating homes. So it does raise costs and just adds uncertainty. So, all right, what does that, so the land market then, at least in the Midwest, went crazy the last year, right? We've had 20, 30% increases in land prices. The, yeah, so I, I know that Illinois experienced what a thousand dollars per acre increases over the yeah. last. Sorry, I've got my my dog just went crazy in the background. That might continue for a little bit. She's uh she's deaf, so she doesn't know when she's barking. <laughs> so, uh, so so Illinois had pretty substantial increases, but then when we look at Ohio, uh, we look at Nebraska, where they're up to like twenty seven thousand dollars an acre in some areas. Yeah. Illinois holding around is it, is it around ten thousand in the higher areas? So in the higher areas, we can be 15 to 20. 15 to 20. Okay. So, yeah. so it's up there too. Um, it, what are we looking at? I mean, because a lot of people have spoken to the 1980s crisis or the, you know, the late 1970s where, where there was sort of a, you know, they call it a bubble there. Um, is, there's a lot of fear in the language people are using with those land values. And we're looking at that with the, the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Are we looking at a correction if that conflict ends? You know, it, like what, what what's sort of our what's our risk areas? It's, it's a, and this is where I really wanted to get in with you because of your background in risk management. Um, you know, what's what's sort of the outlook here? So first off, I would say we're not looking at 1980s because. If you look at debt levels around here, they're really low. Okay. Uh, so we don't have this. People aren't going out and buying land uh, using debt capital to do it because lenders won't let them do it. <laughs> but, it's but, very but, hard to get loans for land, right? You've got to use yeah, it. Yeah, you you got to well, drop cash. Yeah, you got to drop cash or equity. You got to be well capitalized. So we don't have that issue going on. Um, you know, if you're looking at in there's two, actually two sort of th longer term trends that cause you pause. <laughs> I mean, how, how long can these commodity prices stay up at the levels they are? And an old ag economist like me would say the first time we get a large crop in Brazil or uh, here, we're going to see those prices decline. Um, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. But, you know, that, that would be the trend. And then also, how long are interest rates going to remain at a higher level? I, you know, honestly, I wouldn't call these interest rates, and now I'm old. I remember the 80s. Um, these are more normal <laughs> 
interest rates and you know your, your land prices have to or you would think all asset prices sort of have to adjust to this new normal there's we can use that term new normal <laughs> higher interest rates <laughs> um so you know i'm i don't necessarily think we will see a large decline in land prices but i could see them being steady to downward you know five to ten percent and stay here for a very long period okay so you think it's moving towards more of a sort of stabilization more of a plateau kind of stage where you know we, we see some you know you're going to see up and down but not as far as the high swings that we've had here lately yeah, I don't see how you can keep going up, right? I mean, exactly. there's, nothing, there's nothing fundamental out there that sees you're going up. Coming, to, I, I get the impression that there's still money that wants to come into agriculture, not because it's a great investment necessarily, but because all the other investments don't look very good either. I mean, are you going to leave money in the stock market now? I mean... That's just as could be just as overcapitalized as land, right? Right, and and usually, if you're looking at a turmoil, you would prefer to own a real asset than a than a than a financial asset. Right, right. Well, and and that's something that's been pumped up over like the last decade, right? Where you you have you know the the the, when you look at market capitalizations of of you know domestic equities, and and you look at, what is it they they use like the PE ratio there to to examine you know where it is like that went out of balance five years ago, and then yeah. you had the yield curve invert you know a few years ago. There's danger territory, but everyone keeps on the hyper rationalizing how like oh no it's fine, which you know that that sounds like the wheels are falling off the airplane right like oh no everything's good don't worry about it it's going to be a little bumpy. Um, yeah, there's some risk there. <laughs> yeah, there is some risk there. So there is some risk there, and it could decline. And, and I think that all comes back to what you believe are going to happen to commodity prices in 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 the longer run. And I'm so I, I don't see how they can stay up at, at at the levels that they are. And and if you're looking at bids for next year, they're coming down. But here, here's the question. I, I you know, we're, we're thinking we're moving into a recession, but I suspect that recession is going to have much larger impact on tech stocks than on real assets. Uh, you know, the you, people still want real things, right? And, I love how you differentiate tech stock from real assets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that's the industry where we've seen a lot of, you know, and I admit, PE ratios, you compare them in agriculture and you're going, yeah, they're a little bit out of line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you look at PE ratios on a lot of these tech stocks and you're basing a lot of things on hope, right? <laughs> there is a lot of hope there, yes. So that would be the one where I would be more concerned about if I was in that industry, is, is in, in that area. Because, you know, if you look... The, 
the the good thing about a recession is, is it wipes out a lot of false hopes. Well, there's quite a few false hopes that need to be wiped out probably in the that sector. So we had the dot-com boom in the 2000s. Now we're going to have to wipe some things out. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be another, uh, it's kind of a, a mass Darwinian thing that you have in technology every few years. Um, and and I think that a, a lot of individuals, when they're looking at land in general, it gets associated with real estate because it is, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it gets sold like real estate, real estate brokers work with it and they associate it with residential real estate, which is right now going through a heavy correction. And, and the difference is, you know, you live on residential real estate, cropland produces your food and, and it has real attainable value and it produces money and it produces things that people need as opposed to your house, which doesn't do any of that. And, and, but they get lumped in in the same thing. And so people get the same fears about those. And it's like, well, residential is correcting what's going to happen to land. And, and, and so going into 2023, that's sort of, you can see that fear sort of happening. Yep. Yep. And, and again, there, there are reasons for caution. Let's, let's use the word caution. <laughs> no, again, I, 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 I personally would think of uh, a period of steady land prices to slight decreases would be sort of good for everybody. But here's, here's not to sound like a, commercial for farmland, but here's the good thing about farmland. Um, And and this happens to be from one of my good friends who's a farm manager and also uh, had uh, rented houses and and, and owned some rental properties as well. Farmland, if you're in the right area, has 100% occupancy. (laughs) So you don't have to, you know, you you can get it farmed. I would look again, look for some retrenchments of land rents in the future if you're at the high end, which are some people at that high end. But um, yeah, retrenchments is better than no occupancy. So, yeah. And, and so, you know, feeding kind of into your sort of strengths and your background as, as we move into 2023. What are what are some of the better sort of risk management strategies that landowners and specifically crop landowners can execute to sort of protect themselves? Because we do have this period of you've talked about it before where we're we're moving into possibly lower prices in commodities in 2023. Once and it, 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 I, I really dialed into it when you talked about it, because I thought it was, you know, on point and funny is that once you raise prices for something like fertilizers, it's probably not going to come back down very easily because that's just economics, right? It, once you establish that high line, that high, the, the high water mark, you don't want to pull it back down because it's just profits, right? So it, yeah. that's just how it works. What, what can, what can landowners, crop landowners do to protect themselves moving into 23, 24? So one of the things that I would, uh, uh, well, cropland owners, they should probably be getting their, or if they haven't done so, get their cash rent sets for 2023. I would, I'm telling, I'm suggesting to farmers that they market more of their product for 2023 now than they usually do. That isn't necessarily a projection of where prices are going, but um, 
a, a, a note that at the current price levels, we can be profitable and it might not be profitable as we as 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 we move forward um for landowners and and they've done this already is just to be kind of prudent with your land investment and and again if you're a landowner um you know be prudent with that um and I would also evaluate where your cash rents are or your rental rates are relative to what could happen. Are you at the high end or at more of the mid range for cash or rental rates in your area? If you're at the high end, you, you know, you might make plans for that to come down. Um, so, uh, and, and, and make sure that you can sustain that. For landowners, you know, over the next five, six, seven years, the capital gains from land may be small to negative. And that's the environment that you're probably living in um, for a while. So get used to that. And I would also caution a landowner if they think they're going to sell the farmland and invest in something that has capital gains. Remember, interest rates are going up for all assets. It, it probably has a larger impact on land because it's infinitely live. But you're going to face that headwind in all your asset markets. And, you know, no. So I, you know, I've been at this for a while. Most people don't know what rising interest rates look like, right? I mean, since the 1980s, we've seen those interest rates come down. We're now in a rising interest rate market, and that implies something very different about what happens to asset prices. Asset prices don't go up as fast, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you're talking about an era where we went up to what, like 17, 18 percent very yeah. quickly and and we have people kind of freaking out right now about four yeah. percent and it's it's really it, like you pointed to it earlier when you said it's it's more moving to normal than it is rising interest rates right now but that doesn't mean anything in the future we could be looking at rising interest rates here in the next year right yeah depending on what the fed decides to do and maybe they don't even really have control i mean that can just happen um the Fed appears to be slowing their interest rates. I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's what they're signaling. Because um, they did, they took their foot off the gas here in the last couple months, right? And, and, you know, but that doesn't mean they have necessarily a handle on inflation. They just it, maybe they're testing the waters. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and the other thing is, is is this inflation temporary or not? And I don't see how there isn't a lot, a large, significant portion of that that is longer term. It's, there's labor's difficult. Anybody that's producing a real product probably can market it for a while. So you got this real side of the economy that looks pretty robust. And actually, most people could sell more product if they could figure out the supply chain or the labor to 
produce it, right? That that's the holdup. It's not necessarily um, the market. It's you know, if you try and get a plumber, an electrician, or a carpenter, they're all booked up. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to say the demand is there all over the place. It's the labor behind it, and it's the getting it to the to the demand, right? That's yeah. a huge limitation right now. And that's not a market where though where that's not a situation where you see a slowing of inv- of inflation. In those say, yeah, that's not a that's not a good a good sign for anybody trying to slow inflation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's time for the real economy to bang out something and uh, the tech stocks to sort of retrench a bit. <laughs> right, right. Which and you know there is there is sort of a trend of people moving back into tradesmanship or mm-hmm. people moving back into producing, you know, more tangible goods. Um, that, that we're, you know, it's, it's sort of a movement and, and we're seeing it a little bit. It just, you know, takes a while for that to ramp up. Right. It takes a while for people to get that experience and that education and, you know, to follow through and actually build businesses. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, what's popular one day is less popular the next. So there you go. <laughs> I, I work in marketing. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, awesome. Well, Hey, uh, what sort of, um, so, you know, you're looking at 2023 and I want to make sure to be respectful of your time. Cause you know, we talked about running here for like 30, 45 minutes and I don't want to book up your day too much. So, um, I want to sort of get, you know, your overhead view 2023. Um, are you looking, you know, do you think that that land holds more value as a hedge to inflation and market fluctuations, or is it like an investment opportunity? You, you spoke to a plateau, so are we looking at what sort of situation are we looking at with land values moving into 2023? Yeah. So I would be looking for a plateau and I would be looking for, and maybe even a slight retrenchment depending on what happens. But, you know, I, I think it's a good place for inflation hedge and just a general uncertainty hedge. And again, if you're looking at farmland, we, you know, there's going to be demand for food for the foreseeable future, and maybe even difficulties in meeting that demand. Um, Investing in the asset that produces that basic thing is probably not a, is, is a good thing to have invested in, so. Hey there, listener, quick disclaimer, there is a feedback loop that kicks in right here, and I don't want to move forward with the podcast and pretend that it didn't happen and or pretend that, you know, that it's a normal podcast from this point forward. We pride ourselves on quality. So there is a little bit of feedback here. It's not your stereo. It is the recording. Uh, But the conversation goes about 10 more minutes. It's just so cool talking with with Dr. Schnitke here, and we just wanted to make sure that the rest of it was captured. You can feel free to shut it off here and move along with your day or carry on with the conversation and carry on with your listening. Uh, Thank you again. Uh, I I see it as more of a hedge. Having said that, I'm not bullish on any asset going into 2023. So... uh, yeah, yeah, this is it's sort of looking like a like a hold on to your seat, you know, kind of yeah. year moving ahead. And there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, people are talking recession. People are talking not recession. Uh, there's a lot of signals that say recession. And and given, you know, 20 years of economic growth, that's not perpetual, right? Yeah, yeah. You do have recessions every now and then. So Yes. And, and again, 
you know, we probably looking back on it, you know, the COVID was, there are costs to shutting down your economy for a while. So, right. and those are what we're experiencing now with supply chain issues and inflation and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, hey, uh, so a couple last questions here. So as we're headed into the holiday season, uh, what are you thankful for this year? So I have a lot to be thankful for. M- mainly what I'm thankful for is I have a little piece of land <laughs> out that I can get away from, from this crazy craziness. I, I planted a bunch of wildflowers <laughs> this year. Okay. Pasture or uh, uh, prairie land. So this is central Illinois. So I planted a little plot of, plot of prairie out there and I got got this all situated i'm going to enjoy watching it <laughs> as as we move forward um and i do and i have my wife and family and they're all doing well and we're all in good health so everybody's every everything's good and i still have a job <laughs> and income coming in and it all seems to be going pretty well those are all terrific things are, are you planning on uh so you planted you said wildflowers and stuff. So are you doing bird watching, wildlife, just hanging out? Just hanging out, but I <laughs> just, just hanging out. Um, I should, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy a beehive this year. So I'm going to. You really? Yeah. I, I've, uh, I, I do larky sort of things every now and then. Oh, my, uh, my uh, nephew has a, a beehive and he said, you really got to get into it. They're fun to watch. So here we, here we go. So he raises, he, he actually is a farmer in Ohio, not here, but uh, got into it because he raises pumpkins and they're pretty, pretty important for pollination of pumpkins. And uh, he said, they're fun to watch. So I got my flowers and I got my, Honeybees. So. <laughs> I have heard the same thing. I have several friends that have gotten into the beehive thing and making their own honey. And there's the, the, the ones that are, I found there was some uh, some beehive producers out of New Zealand that made uh, they're on stilts and, and beehives where you can take it out without destroying the combs. Mm-hmm. And it's like you, you, it's like a tap that goes into the hives. That I I was watching those near the glass enclosure that you can watch the bees in that look really cool. That's a fun one. You're going to do that this year, this summer, then? Yeah. So I, I got my, uh, there's a group that does a beehive uh, education. So I got my spot all reserved. I have known nothing about this. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I love that, man. You got to get out of your comfort zone. That's cool. Yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm not planning on making a living. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I spread myself thin on hobbies, too. So it's, uh, <laughs> I I can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, hey, um, any last words from you uh, before before I let you go here? Yeah, and you know, in agriculture, we've gone through a you know, I, I sense we've had very good income, a little bit of unease, but let's just enjoy these high income years while they last and make some preparations for the future. Yeah, because like you said, in 2023, our margins might be a little more thin, but they probably won't, you know, crash or anything. But they're, mm-hmm. we're just going to be skating here, like with a little thinner margins, what, what we've seen this last year, right? Yep. Higher costs, lower prices. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Well, hey, Barry, I, I can't extend enough appreciation for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for uh, for giving me the last, you know, 40 minutes of your life. And uh, uh, yeah, 
I, I absolutely just want to say thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And, uh, and uh, thanks for having me. Anytime. Honestly, really anytime. <laughs> this concludes episode number 24 for the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing 2023 land values and what has influenced those land values with Dr. Gary Schnitke out of the University of Illinois College of Agricultural, Consumer, and Environmental Sciences. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com. Quick reminder, please like, review, and share our show. Our show doesn't get found if people don't talk about it and hit that like button. So if you found this show valuable, others will too. Make sure to share it. As we get reviews, we'll share them on the podcast. Now, thank you again, and we'll see you next time.